The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your kindness to us, your invitation to us to be in your presence. And that you want to speak to us. You want us to hear what you have to say. Help us, Lord, help us to listen. I pray you'd help me. Please help me as I try to uh, teach this passage faithfully and clearly, Lord. I need your help for that. And for all of us, let us just hear it right to the heart, what you've done for us in Jesus, what you have for us, what you've given to us through him and his cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question for the day is, what does it mean to be spiritual? And it really is the question of the day, um, modern day, our time, our neighborhood. A lot of people claim to be spiritual. They want to be spiritual. They're hungry for spiritual wisdom. Uh, They're looking for new answers on being spiritual. It's becoming popular to say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. So, okay, but what does that mean? What's it mean to be spiritual? And to, to find the answers on spirituality, America especially American women, looks to Oprah. They really do. They look to Oprah. And it's, the, it's not hard to imagine why. She's very warm. She's very smart. She's a great listener. She's generous. She's vulnerable. She shares her own story. Um, and she's also passionate about the issue of spirituality. It's all over everything she does. It's all over her website, her her shows, and she continually spotlights many authorities on spirituality for her audience to consider. So I, I was interested in this, and I watched one interview on the subject with a woman named Elizabeth Lesser, who is a spiritual advisor or leader. And she said that to be spiritual meant to be fully present and alive in the moment, whether the moment is church or mosque or temple. So did you hear that? According to, from the spiritual expert, Oprah, and her spiritual expert friend, to be spiritual is to be fully present and alive in the moment, whether or not the church, whether or not it's church, mosque, or temple. So if you just take a step back, let's think. It sounds like the real thing is the spirituality, and the religion or the practice of it is just the wrapping paper. Right? So it's not really that important which religion it is as long as you're being spiritual. That's what she seems to be saying. And so actually in this interview, the question came, well, what is the difference, what's the difference then between spirituality and religion? And so Lessing said, and again, this is, this is the embraced spiritual authority of America. It really is. In, in numbers, in money, it is. And she said, well, to be spiritual, spirituality is the longing in each one of us, the longing for something more, the sense that there's something more. We want to know where we've come from and where we're going. It's our eternal journey. That's what she said it was to be spiritual. And then she said, religions grow up around those questions. We have great beings who give us answers. And then she said, for many religions fill the answers of spirituality, but not for everyone, right? So you get the sense that in this new, I'm spiritual but not religious, no religion is really necessary, ultimate, or true. Instead, it's kind of like spirituality is the ice cream and religion is the flavor. Let's go get ice cream. Which flavor do you want? Oh, whatever. It's up to you as long as we're all eating the ice cream. Religion is just the outfit, the optional outfit you put on on the real thing. And then... And then Oprah agreed by saying, and this is where it was really interesting to me. She said, you know, I used to think that Jesus came to die for us on the cross. But now I think it was really all about him showing us how to do it, how to be, how to have the Christ consciousness. That's what it means to be spiritual. Okay, now I'll be honest with you. When somebody says have the Christ consciousness... I have no idea what that means. I have no idea. And to be fully awake and alive in the moment, I don't even know what that means. And I've been fully awake and alive in some really bad, non-spiritual moments. So, I don't know. 
But if we wanted to, I'm going to spend a couple more minutes on this because it's so huge. It's so huge in our culture. It's, it's got to be in us. You know, we're, we're listening. We're hearing this. So, so if you wanted to know, okay, well, what do you mean? Because this is, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I want to be spiritual. Do you? I want spiritual wisdom. I want to tap into what life is all about. And I would like to connect with the divine, wouldn't you? I would like to, to steal some of their words, would you like to be self-actualized? And you're like, what? Okay. It means to reach your potential. Do you want to be more? Do you want to be all you can be? I mean, it's, it's facing this reality that we have this idea of there's, there's greatness out there, and I feel like I could reach some of it. If I could just get over that tipping point, what would it mean? I mean, this is a huge longing, I think, in the human heart. So, so let's chase this trail for a moment. Okay, Christ consciousness, what is that? Well, another one of Oprah's spotlighted spiritual leaders is Deepak Chopra. You heard of him? Okay. Deepak wrote this once. We will remain unfulfilled unless... Okay, are you ready? Are you on the edge of your seat? How can I be fulfilled? Okay. We'll remain unfulfilled unless we nurture the seeds of divinity inside us. In reality, we are divinity in disguise. And the gods and goddesses in embryo that are contained within us seek to be fully materialized. Did you, did you catch that? You'll, you won't be satisfied until you realize that you're God. And, and that the, there's a godness in you that needs to be materialized. Now, now that even, this brother stretches language often. He really does. If you listen to what he says, he'll try to take quantum physics, and because nobody understands quantum physics, he applies it to spirituality, and it sounds scientific, and we're all like, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> That's the way I feel about this. There's, there's a goddess in you, ladies, who seeks to be fully materialized. Uh, and that actually sounds like a scary moment whenever that happens. But, but it's actually, I mean, he's being... He's using language loosely, but he's saying that to be spiritual is to realize that the answers are within you, that you have the divine in you already. You are all you need. Another teacher on Oprah's website is Wayne Dyer, and here's something he once wrote. This has got to be one of my favorite, least favorite quotes in the world. Dr. Wayne Dyer says, the best thing about Jesus was that he had a mom who believed he was the son of God. Then he says, imagine how much better the world would be if all our moms thought that way. So try this at home, moms. Okay? You make dinner, you got some grilled chicken, some steamed broccoli, because you want your kids to eat vegetables. And your kid says, I want donuts. And you say, well, you are the son of God. Eat your donuts. I mean, would you ever want to deactualize the seeds of his divinity? And it sounds silly, okay? Now, I'm, I'm making light of it a little, I confess. But this is American spirituality. This is uh, the institution of American spirituality. And... How do you feel about this? The, would the world be a better place if we all realized we were God? So there's good evidence to think that what they mean by Christ consciousness is to learn from Jesus, who's an enlightened teacher, to think great things about yourself. Jesus wants you to realize you're divine. That means, and this is convenient because if you're divine, you're the authority. And, and how do you know what's right and wrong? If you're divine, well, it's what you want that's right, and it's what you don't want that's wrong. So you become the authority. Uh, you have the answers. You find the divine within you. So many have called this a view of spirituality new age, but to be frank, it's really just a new color of lipstick on the same old pig. And the pig is 
Pantheism. Pantheism. Have you heard of this before? Okay. Worldviews. Worldviews, it sounds it's a fancy word, but it's how you answer the big questions of life. How do you know what life is all about? Where did we come from? Who are we? Where are we going? What is life for? Right? The really big questions. Wisdom. Okay? The way you answer those questions, that's your worldview. For some people out there, it's I don't know, I don't know, and I don't know. Okay? But okay, but your religion is I don't knowism. You make it up as you go. It, it doesn't feel right, does it? You, you'd like to know more. Pantheism sees the universe of the world as a closed system. There's just one thing. And pan is that theism. Theism is God. Pan is like all. So God is all. He's in all. All is God. God is all. There's a spiritual divine thing that flows through everything because it's a closed system. There's just one thing. And so God and creation are the same. Now you have to look into the creation to find the, the spiritual reality, but it's in everything. And that really is what you're getting from Oprah, her teachers, in the website. It's pantheism. So within that worldview, it's true. If, if that worldview is real, it's true that God is in me, and God is in you, and God is in the rock, and in the tree, and in the ocean. And if you saw Avatar, right? Avatar, the movie, is a, is a wonderful story showing you pantheism. God is in creation, God is in all. And part of it kind of sounds exciting, doesn't it? I have it in me. You have the answers in you. If you could just be actualized, if you could just find your potential, you'd be spiritual. But how do you feel about this? I mean, I realize I'm speaking to mostly church Christian people, so I can guess how you feel about it. But when I think about it, I'm totally unimpressed because, first of all, it's hard to, just rationally, how do you have a cause in pantheism, there's just a close. How do you have a creator? Where did it come from? Also, there's no meaning or purpose. There's just seasons. It's, pantheism is like a dryer. It just spins the cycle. And there's no start or finish or purpose. It's just spin it around again. But the really hard part is when it comes to things like evil or suffering. Um, so it might be fun to say that you are God, but do you want to say that cancer is God? Because if you're a pantheist, you have to. Or evil is God. What's the difference between evil and good if God is in all? It's the yin and the yang. It's the balance. Both, you know, it's good or bad, but whatever. It's all from God. So there's not really a good versus evil. It's all just kind of, it's gray. God's in all. I'm totally unsatisfied by this. And I know enough about myself by now. <laughs> I mean, when I was in high school, I thought I was God. And I looked like it. But now I know better. If I'm God and you're God, God's an idiot. Am I, is that wrong? Okay. Have you ever had desires that were wrong and stupid? Um, how, do you know, how do you know which one? And there's, there's no meaning or truth because one God's saying one thing and one God's saying another thing and we're all God. So who cares? Who cares? So... That was probably way too long on modern spirituality. It's pantheism. God is in all. Okay? So if, we, if we're listening to this, are, you, are we listening and we're seeing it, we're looking at desires out there in the world, a lot of people evidently want to be spiritual. And if I'm honest with you, I want to be spiritual. I want to know spiritual wisdom. I want to know the big things of life and what life is all about. I think you probably do too. I want to connect to the divine. I don't just want to be an outsider. I want to get in. I want to see. Don't you? I want to be thrilled. And third, yeah, I'd like self-actualization. I'll never use that term about myself after this message. Um, but I want to reach my potential. I want to be more. I want to do better. I don't just want to lay here in my mediocrity. Do you? So if these are the questions out there, and say we agree that pantheism can't answer that, it can't do it, what does? And do Christians have an answer to meet these questions and these needs? Can we offer true spiritual wisdom? 
Can we offer a true connection with the divine? Can we offer a real self-actualization? Do we have answers for this? Well, you, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. And we're continuing our study through Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And his subject today is true spiritual wisdom. The Corinthians came from a culture that valued self and pride. Their version of wisdom was self-sufficiency, self-promotion. And we see they were a train wreck because of it. If you've ever had a bad church experience, going to the church in Corinth would have been worse. They were suing each other. Um, some people would get there early to drink the wine for the Lord's Supper and get drunk. Okay, <laughs> What a great service. Okay, they're, they're fighting each other. There's divisions. It's a mess. And it's because their wisdom is wrong. Their, their spiritual wisdom is false. It's pride-centered. And so Paul wants to remind them of the ultimate value that heals us, guides us, and gives us meaning. And as we saw last week, the thing Paul always says is, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the cross. We preach the Son of God who came to live a perfect life, and he died on the cross in your place, and he rose again from the dead. We preach a message that crushes our pride. And that brings us to humility. And the irony is, in the, fool, the apparent foolishness of this wisdom that crushes our pride, that's where we find life. That's where we find wisdom. That's where we find connection to God himself. That's where we find our potential. So we're going to see today, from this core value, this core message of the of Jesus and him crucified, all the answers to what we need. We have a better God, a better wisdom, a better spirit, and a higher potential. You ready? This is a boxing match between Jesus and all the other, all the other stuff. And Jesus is saying, I'm better, and I'm better, and I'm better, and I'm better. Okay? So first of all, a better God. Now, this, this should take like four or five messages all by itself, so I'm really going to try to shrink it. That, you know, if pantheism's true, you're not, you don't get to have anything unique other than yourself. Because the God in the, in the trash, the God in the evil, the God in the foolishness, the God in the suffering, the God in the wealth, it's all the same. You don't have anything unique. And you're just dreaming up, you're hoping that you can connect. There's, there's no meaning there. There's no source there. It's empty. But Christian worldview is totally different. Remember, pantheism is one locked universe, all here. Christianity is twoism, two. So there was a time before creation when creation was not yet. And there was a transcendent God, a holy God, a triune God, Father, Spirit, Son, one God, three persons. And this God is ultimate and self-sufficient. The word we use is holy. He's, he's set apart. He's so different. And he has all he needs in himself. So we see that God himself, he's ultimate, not creation, and he's the one who begins it. He's, he's the starting point. He's the creator. So he starts things with a purpose. There's a story. There actually is a meaning. There's a beginning and an end. There's a purpose. There's a hope. It's going somewhere because of this God. We also see that this God is personal. So if you want to tune into your pantheistic force, like there's nobody going to talk to you there except for your own imaginations. Because there actually isn't a person. It's not personal, by definition. The triune God is personal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Father is not the person of the Son. The Son is not the person of the Spirit. They're three persons in unified community. Triune. Which means there's love. There's fellowship. And do you believe in the reality of love? Every rock song, right? I want to lo know what love is. I want you to show me. Anybody from the 80s tracking with that one? Okay. Okay. Reach it further back. All we need is love. Okay. Love. I, don't, I haven't met too many people who are like, don't believe in love. I mean, if we, if we want more glam rock, love hurts. Love scars. Love wounds. Love's Mars. Yes, it does. But it exists. Okay. If you're a pantheist, love doesn't exist. If you're an atheist, love doesn't exist. It's just feelings. It's just things that happen in your matter at this temperature. 
Love's not ultimate. But if the triune God is real, love is eternal. Love has always been. Love is perfect. Love is where it came from. Love is where it's going. Love is real. Because of this triune God. Personal, Father, Son, and Spirit. And love is gracious. The Father sent the Son and the Spirit to bring sinners to himself. The story of Christianity is like a big hug. Sounds kind of cheesy, but that's what it is. The Father says, I want to save sinners by grace. Grace means, church, do you know it? Let's be cheesy. Two words you need to have for grace. Undeserved love. The first part is especially the one you need to keep in your pocket. Say it again. Undeserved. Undeserved love. So does God love you because you deserve it? No. Does he love you? Yes. Undeserved love. And the picture of grace is God sends his son to people who have rejected him. And he does it in justice. He does it in righteousness because he gave us a law, the commandments on how to live. We broke them, everyone. Jesus kept them for us in our place. We deserve wrath and punishment and condemnation because we have rebelled. Jesus took it for us on the cross in our place. He was thinking of you and me and saying, I will pay for it for them. And he rose from the dead in new life so that you can have new life. And then he sends, the, so, so Jesus accomplishes your salvation. And then they send the, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. And they apply the salvation. When that moment, when you, your eyes are open, your heart goes, oh gosh, it's true. I need God. I am a sinner. I am broken. I need what Jesus has done for me. The Spirit applies your salvation in your life. He wakes you up. I love some of your testimonies of your conversion where you say, I was going this way. And all of a sudden, the light switch went on. Oh, God invaded your life. That's what God is doing. The Son accomplishes your salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. The Spirit applies it, waking you up so that you'd believe it, so he brings you into himself. Grace. I want to show you some verses up here. I hope it's not too complicated on the overheads. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Um, You know, I'm talking to you about the better God that we have. And Paul's not really arguing from the Trinity. But he's mentioning the Father, the Son, the Spirit constantly in this conversation. Back it up. Yes. And because of him, the Father, you are what? In Christ Jesus. Connected to Jesus. Who became to us what? Wisdom from God. Here's spiritual wisdom. And then you have three major terms that follow. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Righteousness is a legal term. If, if, if when the world ends, you stand in God's courtroom and the book of your life is open and he says your thoughts, your words, and your deeds and he puts it according to his standard. Love God, love your neighbor, Ten Commandments. I don't know what your test is getting. Yes, I do. It's getting what my test is getting. F. I haven't done it. I've done the opposite of it so many times. I'm guilty. But here's what Jesus does for all who trust in him and his cross. He intercedes. He mediates. He moves your book out of the way. He puts his book down. His book is open. His thoughts, his words, his deeds. And they count for you. And the Father says, perfect. Justified. You're made right with God through what Jesus has done on the cross. Every sin forgiven. Made as if you've never sinned because you wear what Jesus has done. That's God's wisdom. We have sanctification. Sanctification means to be made holy, to be set apart. So God has purchased you and he's, he's moved you over onto his team, into his family. So here we have meaning. You belong to God. You can live for him. You can be like him because of what he's done for you on the cross. And then also redemption. I love this word redemption. It really means to purchase. And the idea is like slavery. Can you imagine you're a slave? You're chained. Uh, You're lost. 
And someone comes and they purchase you and you think, oh no, a new master, what's going to happen? And he takes the chains off and he gives you a piece of paper that says, I just adopted you and I made you an heir of everything I have. Your, your jaw would hit the floor, right? I went from slave to child. That's what the cross did for you. Bought you a new identity. You guys, we have a better God. <laughs> I'm not saying that out of pride. I didn't invent this. I didn't make this. I never could. But this is the better, this is the best God. This is love. This is grace. This is truth. We have the better God. We also have the better wisdom. Now, get with me in your Bibles, will you? Um, 953. Look at verses 6 to 8 on page 953. Just by the way, as you're getting there, if you don't have a Bible, we would absolutely love to give you one of these. Just take it. We love to give these away. Don't feel awkward about it. Just take it. We want you to have one. So, we'll be offended if you don't take one. How about, how about that? Look at the better wisdom. Verse 6-8. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, though it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and a hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul is really saying, just because I've been attacking your popular fake wisdom doesn't mean we don't have any as Christians. He's just saying God's wisdom is better. He says it's not a wisdom of this age. <laughs> now, do you ever talk about history like this? An age? Um, you have to be like in Lord of the Rings. A life age or the age of Middle Earth. What is this? Well, it's obviously an episode in history of some sort, right? Episode. It had a start and it had a finish. We are in an age right now of brokenness, an age of sin, an age of injustice, an age of evil. It started when Adam and Eve bought the lie that God's not good, they can do it themselves, that they could be God in his place. Pride, right? It started with Pride, God, we don't need you. And every one of us has followed in those footsteps. It's a broken age. And so all its wisdom is of pride. We can do it. We don't need God, his grace, or his work. The answers are in us. So the new age, you see, is not new. So it's not a wisdom of this age, because this age can't see real wisdom. And the biggest example of that is what they did with Jesus. What did they do with the one who loved the one who did miracles, the one who taught like nobody else. What'd they do when God came? If only God came and we could see him and he did miracles, then I'd believe. Well, there's a whole crowd of people who saw it and they killed him. The main thing being, Jesus and his cross deeply offends our pride. It offends our pride. Jesus says, you can't do it, you need me. Jesus says, you can't do it, you need me. What does your pride say to that? Oh, I can. Morally, you might say, no, I'm a good person. I don't need a cross. You're using the wrong standard, I think. No, I have wisdom. I can do it. I don't need you as my king. So they, they crucified the Lord of, and what, what does Paul call him here? Crucified the Lord of glory. What's Glory. It's your heart's desire. How come you don't go into a room full of mirrors for vacation? <laughs> Glorious. Yeah. Can I go somewhere else, please? Okay. Where do you go? You want to go to Hawaii. You want to go to the Grand Canyon. Or you want to see somebody that you love. What are you looking for? You're looking for glory. You're looking for beauty. You're looking for majesty. You're looking for something awesome to thrill you. Jesus is the Lord of glory. God's creation is awesome, isn't it? How awesome is God? Oh, what would it be like to see him? Glory. He's the Lord of glory. The world didn't see it. Crucified him. We impart, verse 7, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. But this worldly wisdom, the rulers of this age, this age is what? Look at the, verse, look at, look at the end of verse 6. This age and his wisdom is 
doomed to pass away. It's going to end. I love that. Aren't you? Are you ready? (laughs) End it now. It's doomed to pass away. The cross of Jesus brought the sentence on this age. The cross, the judgment showed. This is what I think of your human pride in your age. And the resurrection showed something better is coming. Something better is coming. This age is doomed to pass away. So why would you want a wisdom from this age that can't get anything right? Why would you want that wisdom? You want a deeper wisdom that's eternal, that's from God, that'll take you into the next age, right? That's what Paul's saying. Look at the wisdom we have. Look at verse 7. We have a secret and hidden wisdom of God. That doesn't mean it's special knowledge that only some people can get into. Some culture like that, right? If you pay enough money, go there long enough, we'll be like, we'll let you into the super secret. That's not what Paul's talking about. All throughout history, specifically in the Old Testament, we didn't know how God was going to do it. That was, that's what Paul was saying. We didn't know he was going to send his own son. So it was secret and hidden. But when did God decree it in verse 7? When did he decide he was going to do it this way? He decreed it when? Before the ages. It's eternal. This is God's plan from the beginning. It's not going to stop. It's not going to be broken or vanquished. This is his plan. And it's for, look at the end of verse 7, amazing. For what? For our glory. For our glory. So we've already seen the word glory. The Lord of glory came for our glory. Look at Ephesians 1.9. This is God's eternal wisdom for our benefit. God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to what? What's God going to do? Unite all things in him. Who's the him? Jesus. Going to bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything for restoration, everything for healing, everything for worship at the feet of Jesus. the, The train of your life, the train of history is going straight to the feet of Jesus. He's gonna heal it. He's gonna fix it. He's gonna judge it. That's what life is about, the glory of Jesus. That's where it's going. That's eternal wisdom. And it's for our glory how does that work? Remember, God has put us in Christ. The Lord of glory is mine. He's yours. He's given himself to us. And everything he inherits belongs to us. This is why Paul is so pumped up. Look back in your Bibles at verse 9. As it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You don't have any idea how much God is going to thrill you forever and ever and ever because of what Christ has done for you and how you're connected to that. You think he's up for it? Big question for your heart right here. You think he's up for it because you want to be happy. I know this about you. You want to be happy. And for some of us, the reason you haven't come to Jesus is because you think these other things will make me more happy. Is it working? Ask yourself, is it working? Will it continue to work? What happens when you lose those things? Because you're going to lose it all, right? I'm not a prophet. You're going to die. You're going to lose it. You can have the Lord of glory. You don't have to do anything super special. You don't have to fix all the wrong you've done. You just have to look to him and say, save me. And God puts you in Christ Jesus. And the Lord of glory is yours for your glory so that you have what he has. You have him. You have his inheritance forever. And you don't have any idea how good this is going to be. That's what Paul's saying. And so the question is, is God good enough for, to satisfy you? Can he do it? Can God do it? And it's so easy for, for, for people to be inconsistent with what they believe. So I've talked to people and they'll say, oh yeah, I believe God created the world out of nothing, but I don't believe Jesus could rise from the dead. And you'd be like, Which one's easier? If you can make everything out of nothing, a resurrection, that's gravy, right? No problem. If God can make all these beautiful things that give you some satisfaction, can he himself satisfy you? Is he good for it? 
If he sent his son to die for you, is he trustworthy? Can you trust his motives toward you? We have the better wisdom in God. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 21, in Christ. In Christ, all things are yours. The world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours and you're Christ and Christ is God's. Isn't that awesome? The world, the history of the world is about the glory of Jesus and you can have it. You can be in him, with him, belong to him through faith in what he did for you on the cross. We have a better wisdom. Not only have a better wisdom, we have a better spirit. Back in your Bibles, look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us, what? Through the spirit. So look at that word revealed. What does revealed mean? Somebody had to show you. Okay. Again, this, this doesn't work with pantheism. With pantheism, where do you find all the answers? I've, it's been re, I've revealed to myself that I'm God. <laughs> Look, if you, I don't know what you find when you search deep into your heart and your mind. I find a lot of, I find a lot of stuff in there. None of it's God. <laughs> okay. If you're, if you're feeling especially divine this morning, what would happen if we played all your thoughts in the video projector in front of us? Behind, would you have any friends anymore? Okay. If we heard a tape recorder of everything you've said, no, not the good stuff you're pulling out, but uh, no, the, all the other stuff you said, how would that, I, I, would be ashamed, I would run. If they're like, hey, we got a new recording of everything Matt said, I'd be like, I'm out of here. Okay. Don't look in yourself to find God. The transcendent God has to come talk to you and say, here's what's up. He has to come visit you and say, know me. And he does this by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul shows us two things about the Spirit, who he is and what he does. Look at the end of verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who is this person, the Spirit? Is the Spirit a force or a person? Person. Thought, will, passions, person. Look at what does he search and know, end of verse 10. The Spirit searches and knows what? Everything, even the depths of God. Do you know the depths of God? I don't know the depths of myself. I don't know the depths of much at all. You would have to be infinite to know the depths of the infinite God. And that's who the Spirit is. He knows. And then Paul says, hey, just like you know your own thoughts better than anybody, that's how the Spirit knows God's thoughts. Just like you know what you're thinking quicker, faster, more completely than anybody else every time. You know. The Spirit knows the thoughts of God. He is God himself. He is infinite. Now, if you wanted to connect to the divine... Do you want to find a little happy divine spark in yourself because you watched Oprah? Or do you want the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is the person of love between the eternal Father and the Son, do you want him coming into your life and revealing God himself to you? That's what I want. That's the real thing. It's a better spirit. And look what the spirit does in verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might, what? Understand what God is giving us. If you believe in such a thing as a Messiah on a cross dying for you and saving you, do you know why you believe that? It's not because you're smarter or more right or better than anybody else. It's because God himself came and tapped on your shoulder and said, know me. Know me. See me. If your heart gets excited about having God as your father and about being with Christ forever and ever, and you love that Jesus died for your sins and you want to be like him, guess what? The Holy Spirit has come to you and spoken to you and revealed himself to you. You do not know what you have. You have the better spirit. Look what the spirit does in Romans 8, 15. 
You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, drum roll, move forward. Spirit of what? Adoption. And what do you cry? What does your heart cry? Father. Abba is like, it's a, it's a, it's a familiar word. Daddy. Papa. Something like that. It's a, it's a word of intimacy and connection. If your heart says, Father, I love you, I need you, that's the Holy Spirit in you. That's God himself pulling himself to you, saying, know me, see me. Verse 16, the Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. What does that mean? I was in a play once when I said, I am the hare. And everyone laughed, and I was like, I'm supposed to be like moving and passionate, but they're laughing at me. Heir, heir, what does heir mean? You inherit. You inherit. What does God have to give you in his inheritance? What does God own? What's he got? And he's going to give it to you in Christ forever. And the Spirit says, yeah. Can you, do you want it? Do you taste it? Is it drawing you in? We have a better spirit. You know, by the way, how do we hear from the spirit? Pantheism says, look within. I've made fun of that enough this morning. What does the spirit say? Look at verse 13. Paul says, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Just for now, for time's sake, look at verse 13 again. We impart this in what? Words. Now, words doesn't feel very uh, sexy, exciting, romantic. Don't you want a bulletin? An exp- don't you want like a, a vision of light? Or um, don't you want uh, somebody to read your palm? Or have an inkling? Or maybe a crystal you could hang in your car? What's the problem with all that stuff? My problem is that I, I, I really feel like this is made up. <laughs> I might as well go to the movies. I'm just making this up. You know what's so wonderful about words? What do you like about words? Words. We're all looking at the same words. I can trust it. There it is. It's an idea. It's a concept. It is this. It's not that. I can sit on it. I can, I can rely on it. It's consistent. It's the same. We can look at it together. It's not just, well, my dream and my experience. No, my dream and my experience. No. We have content, actuality, reality. Look, when the Spirit talks to you, He's not just leading you in a, in a game where you're chasing your tail. He has given us everything we need in the scriptures. All scripture, Paul says, is what? Inspired by God and profitable. The Spirit wrote this book as a letter to you, for you. Skip to 2 Timothy 3.7. This is why we have a hard time with what the Spirit says sometimes. 2 Timothy 3.7, the first word is skip. What's the first word in 2 Timothy 3, 7? It is? No, no, 2, 7. Next slide. Next slide. Okay, there's the word that's hard. What is it? Yeah. What was it again? Think, okay. How many of you are like, I should go to the gym? I'm not going to. I'm going to eat ice cream. Which is easier? Eating ice cream is easier. I could read my Bible or I could watch TV. Which is easier? Watching TV. Why? Okay, that's why when I veg, when I want to veg, I'm tired. I'm going to watch TV because I don't have to do anything. It does all the work for me. What do we have to do when we come to the Bible? Think. That's why we don't read it. 
Because what is thinking? It's hard. It's hard. But, but, it's so great because he's communicated to us. And so, listen to this. We are made to know his thoughts because he's written them to us so that we can know them. And he says, think about it. And if we think about it, what's the end of the promise from Paul to Timothy? The Lord will give you understanding. And it, so that's in 2 Timothy. And what did Paul say the Spirit does in 1 Corinthians 3, 2? The Spirit will give you understanding. The Spirit helps us see what it means so that we're connected. So we have a better spirit. We have a better communication from the Spirit. Now let's get to our self-actualization. We have better potential. In verses 14 and following, Paul contrasts what he calls the natural person with the spiritual person. You see in verse 14, the natural person doesn't accept the things of God for their what? What do they look like to him? They're, they're folly. They're stupid. He's not, un, he's not able to understand them. So for Paul, the natural person is anyone to whom the Spirit hasn't come and revealed himself. And when he looks at the gospel, specifically the message of the cross, he, he doesn't discern it. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he can't understand the gospel? No. I mean, I, I used to watch Christopher Hitchens debate. He's an atheist. He knew very well what we believe. He knows it better than some of us as far as just stating the facts. What is it with Christopher Hitchens? Is it, is it, is it that he can't understand the, the facts of what the gospel says? No, when he looks at it, what does he think? Or I guess yeah, I should say when he looked at it, what, does he th- what did he think? It looks that's stupid. It's stupid. It's not that they can't understand the content. It's that they don't see any value to it. There's no value. It's not beautiful. It's not important. But the spiritual person, we can. We can see. We can see. The Spirit has come and shown us that Jesus is the Lord of glory and the cross is precious. This leads to our full potential. Look at verse 15. Look what we have. The, spirit, the spiritual person judges all things. What does that mean? Should we take this and be like, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a spiritual person, I have all the answers all the time. Just come to me. That won't work very long at all. No. Let's throw that option out. That's not what it means. Well, what does it mean? Well, listen. We have God's word. We have the gospel, the news of what Jesus has done. And we can see now, can't you see how everything fits together for the glory of God? C.S. Lewis said, I see the sun not just by looking at the sun, but because by it I see everything around me. That's Christianity for me. Christianity makes sense of love, justice, sex, marriage, suffering, work, evil, goodness, parenting, fatherhood. Christianity shows, I feel like this, I see it. It makes sense. Because of what the Bible says, what the Spirit shows. We can judge all things. We have purpose. We have meaning. All the isms out there in the world can't answer the ultimate. They can give you lots of good wisdom about a lot of good things, but they can't answer the ultimate. Only Jesus and his cross can. Really, in Christ, we can judge all things. Not only that, we can't be judged. Look at 15 again. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by who? No one. You ever feel judged? You're like, all the time? <laughs> okay? It's terribly unpleasant. What is, Paul's a judge, too. People want to kill him. They call him all sorts of things. So he's not saying people don't say things about him. But, but what is he saying, then? He's saying their judgment doesn't stick. It doesn't matter. He's saying we're free from the judgments of the world. We're free from their evaluation of us. Oh, wouldn't that feel good? Wouldn't that feel good to be free? How is that possible? Well, see, we've already been judged by God in Christ. And what did he say about us? Righteous. What did he say about us? Adopted. What did he say about you? Desirable. Loved. Inheritor. You have an identity that no one can take, no one can touch. 
Do you know the freedom that comes with that? The freedom to love, the freedom to be, the freedom to sleep, the freedom to have peace because God has declared something about you. The world can't judge me anymore. It still hurts what people say, sure, but it's not who I am. And this leads us, do you see the self-actualization happening here? You can see what the world is for. You can see this identity, who you have. And not only this, and we'll finish with this. Look at verse 16. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That's a rhetorical question. Who does God call for advice? And the answer would be, no one. Because he knows everything. But, but what? But we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit enables us to see like Jesus sees, to love what Jesus loves. It enables us to be like Jesus. Do you have a hero, somebody you want to be like? You won't find anybody more courageous, more humble, more brilliant, more compassionate, more self-sacrificial, more powerful, more wonderful, more generous, more patient, than Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's goal for you is that you would be like him. Romans 8:29, for those whom God foreknew, he predetermined that they would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Can you get higher than that? Is there a better self-actualization than glorifying the character of Jesus Christ in your life? of suffering like he suffered, of speaking like he spoke, of loving like he loved, of giving like he gave, of forgiving like he forgave. You can do that. We can do that because of our trust in what he's done for us on the cross, the better wisdom, the better spirit, the better identity. You want spiritual wisdom? You want to tap into what life is all about? You want a connection to the divine? You want to find out who you are and what you can be? The answer is here in the gospel. Jesus and him crucified. It humbles your pride. It says, you're a sinner, you need me. And when we come and the Spirit helps us see it, and we go, yes, that's true, you're right. And then we see all that God has for us all of a sudden because we are in Christ by faith. We're going to celebrate that as we take the Lord's Supper together. It's all right here. The cross of Jesus. His body broken for you, you eat the bread. His blood shed for you, you drink it and you say, I believe. And as you see it, as you say it, as you eat it, the Spirit is pulling you in to the Father. We're seeing his wisdom. We're seeing the identity he's given us. And we're enjoying what it means to be really spiritual. We pray with me. Father, thank you for giving your son. Thank you for... Spiritual reality, spiritual wisdom, Lord, help us to tap in. Help us to trust it. Help us to come together as a community to your word. Help us to see the gospel with eyes of faith. Speak to us, Spirit. Show us, sitting in this chair right now, the value of Jesus and what he's done. And help us to trust in him. And then, Lord, just tidal wave on us the knowledge and the understanding of all you've done for us. Who we are, what we have in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.